This is the best podcast on the planet. I'm not being biased at all. Thanks for listening, supporting, sharing, and subscribing to the Mindful Farm D podcast. Subscribe today wherever you listen to stay informed. Share with a few friends. Email Dr. Matman Harrell at themindfulfarmd at gmail.com exclamation point. Connect on Instagram at themindfulfarmd. Check out drmattmanharrell.bio.link for everything about the podcast. A thousand thanks and stay mindful. I can tell you one thing. I do not like long season television shows. I, if a television show has 23 episodes in one season, I'm more likely not to watch it. In fact, I much prefer television shows that have maybe six or 10 and that's pushing it, but really six or 10 episodes in it. Just give me a great story and let's end it. Let's bring it to an end. Let's bring it to a close and bring me maybe to another season where we explore different parts of the character, different parts of the narrative. And so because that is a fundamental personality trait of mine, I wanted to end season one of the Mindful Farm D podcast with a little bit of a reflection on the dangers of avoiding things. And specifically, I'm calling this episode Avoiding Avoidance and how to actively avoid avoiding <laughs> intrusive thoughts and uh, patterns of anxiety and things that might be discomforting to you. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to share with you one listener's definition of mindfulness. She says, for me, being mindful means being able to take stock of what I am feeling currently or previously and its sources, then mentally preparing to handle those causes better next time. She goes on and says, I am proactively mindful by reading the Bible and praying at the beginning and end of my day. I am mindful in crisis by closing my eyes and breathing two or three different ways before opening my eyes again. For example, nose breathing, mouth breathing, breathing loudly, and breathing without making any noise. You know, I really think that these are powerful words of reflection, and I'm interested to know from you, what is mindfulness to you? You can send me an email at themindfulfarmd at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to connect with you. I wanted to make you all aware as we wrap up season one and begin season two that I've recently joined forces with the Functional Wellness Network and have created my own website where you can go and purchase scientifically validated vitamins and supplements to help improve your overall health. You know me, I'm a systemic thinker and really this body is, we only get one body and this body is for us to take care of. This mind is for us to take care of. At the end of the day, you are responsible for the healthy systemic function of your mind and body. So check out my new website, mindfully.mynewskin.com. That's mindfully.mynewskin.com. Hey everybody, it's the mind behind the microphone. Do you know the number one way that we can keep this podcast alive? That's right. It's by you giving us a rating wherever you listen. 
Give us five stars. Let me know how we're doing in the comments. You can email me personally at themindfulfarmd at gmail.com. Themindfulfarmd at gmail.com. I want to hear from you. If you have a topic you want to hear about on the podcast, if you have a, a connection with somebody who could sit down with me for an interview, let me know. Send me a personal email. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Mindful Farm D podcast. Welcome and a thousand thanks for tuning in. This podcast is about all of us. I'm your host and the mind behind the microphone, Matt Manharrell. My focus on this podcast is to explore the mind through genuine conversations, thought-provoking ideas, and the reality that the story of mental health is incomplete. Welcome back, Mindful Nation, to another episode of the Mindful Farm D podcast. Uh, as always, a thousand thanks for tuning in. As I wrap up season one, I wanted to bring us to a place where we can we can think about and ponder some things related to our response to troublesome thoughts, painful experiences, memories that we uh, that often plague our minds. And, and I want to I want to tell you a story at the end of this episode related to this this idea of avoiding avoidance. Uh, some time ago, a young man sat on his back porch as the sun rose in the distance. He looked out over his land, which was a pretty big piece of land. And in the distance, he thought he saw what looked like something walking towards him. Now. This man had remembered stories his father told him about gray figures living in the woods and how they haunted those who lived on the outside of the woods. So this young man, he, he suddenly remembering how terrified he felt as his father told him these stories, he stopped sipping his tea. He leapt from his chair and stood there on the porch, terrified of what lay beyond the sunrise, what lay obscured by the the gleaming shimmer of the sun's heat. This young man in that moment had three options. He could run inside, lock all the doors and avoid all contact with this childhood fear. Or he could stand his ground and wait for the approaching danger to arrive on his doorstep. Or he could walk out to the danger just beyond the sunrise, something he couldn't see, couldn't really make out. And he can invite this unknown yet familiar entity to have tea with him. Now, as you're listening to this story, I, I want you to think, how would you respond in that moment? There's something, uh, maybe a terrible, a terrible thought or a terrible memory welling up inside your mind. And you come to this point where you, you like this young man, you, you leap from your chair as that uh, fight, flight, freeze mechanism kicks in, you leap from your chair and you stand there on the porch in your mind and you think to yourself, what am I going to do 
in this moment? What would you choose to do? How would you choose to respond? You know, mindfulness is a is a, a is a very old practice, some thirty five hundred years, uh, and today it's really a multi billion dollar industry, and it's used in a variety of different healthcare channels. Uh, uh, psychologists use it to help treat trauma. Um, they use it to help treat chronic pain, and then of course mental health. The the uh, John Kabat-Zinn is, is really credited with popularizing mindfulness in Western society. And he maintains that mindfulness is a state of mind, a personality trait, a medication practice, and a mental health intervention. And, you know, really, I think that this is a global definition of mindfulness is really to say that mindfulness is about being present in the moment, fully aware and accepting. That's a key word accepting of your current experience. Mindfulness can be defined as the capacity to maintain awareness of and openness to immediate experiences, including internal mental states, thoughts, feelings, memories, and elements of the outside world without judgment and with acceptance. There's that key word again. We'll, we'll come back to that. You know, mindfulness, mindfulness can really be learned with meditation, but it's not always meditation. Even though mindfulness is not always about meditating for 20 minutes or 45 minutes, there have been some studies to show the effectiveness of mindfulness meditation. And I, I specifically want to distinguish this practice. Uh, some years ago, there was a study that compared the brains of those people who practice meditation and those people who do not practice meditation. And they found that at the age of 50, the people who meditated their brains were seven and a half years younger than the brains of those who did not meditate seven and a half years younger. I know everybody's looking for the fountain of youth. You know, this, this, this practice specifically mindfulness meditation may be one of those ways, uh, non-pharmacological ways to keep your brain young and healthy. People with depression, for example, might suffer from, um, uh, you know, intrusive thoughts and, feelings of worthlessness, and they've described mindfulness as a way to view their negative thoughts as weather patterns, you know, seasons, if you will. And I think this is very important for some of us to take home because when you begin to view your thoughts and experiences as seasons, you're more likely to foster resilience through a rough winter, and you're more likely to take advantage of the sunshine during the summer. So mindfulness is a way to view your experiences, to view those negative thoughts, to view those intrusive thoughts as weather patterns, as seasons. And we're going to talk a little bit about, about that uh, sometime later. So, you know, I kept talking about acceptance. I kept talking about um, the, the danger. And I, I mentioned here a few minutes ago that, that really the danger of avoiding, uh, avoiding intrusive thoughts and avoiding painful memories and experiences because really avoidance at the end of the day actually hurts more. Somebody once said that what you resist persists. What you resist persists. In other words, the beast continues to grow. The past might hurt. Um, you might experience feelings of anxiety. You might experience feeling of feelings of depression, but like a cancer, this beast that you avoid, these thoughts, these experiences that you avoid and you, you try so hard to suppress, 
they actually they actually grow and become even more intrusive. If you knew without a shadow of a doubt and you were diagnosed with a, with a, a terrible cancer, brain cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, would you be wise if you if you avoided treatment, whatever treatment might look like? Would you be wise to avoid addressing the issue? No, you wouldn't. And we would all agree with that, that that there has to come this point where you address the issue, accept the treatment modalities that are available. Uh, you reach out to your community to see if, you know, and you join hands with people who could could pray with you, who could who could um, uh, help you through this this troublesome experience. But the point is, you're responding in a way that you're going to address the situation. You're making a choice to address the situation rather than avoid the situation because avoidance is really a maladaptive form of coping. You know, a lot of us have heard the word uh, procrastination and that that word it has Latin origins and it means it comes from the uh, Latin word uh, crastinus or procrastinus, which means um, tomorrow. It means tomorrow. I'll take care of it tomorrow. But avoidance actually hurts more. Because the beast that you're afraid of remains a beast. You don't get that chance to turn around and say, you know, really look at it and say, well, this is not really a beast that I thought it was. It's really just a small mouse. And maybe you're afraid of mice, too, but at least it's it's a smaller it's a smaller fear. What happens when you face the beast? You realize that it's more afraid of you. My son is is deathly afraid of spiders. And a few weeks ago. He sat outside his 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 job is to take out the trash. He sat outside uh, next to the trash can for probably 20 minutes and he didn't know it. But I was watching him from the porch and um, he he just he could not bring himself to put the bag in the trash can for fear that he might, you know, a spider might get on his on his arms or a spider might walk across his 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 hand. And so, you know. After 20 minutes, I finally went out there and just said, hey, man, put just put the bag in the trash can, you know, and come on back inside. The longer you stand here, the scarier the experience becomes. When you experience loss or trauma, the majority of people will tell you to just get over it. Right. Time heals all wounds. But you know, what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? What if time doesn't heal the wound? What if time doesn't make things better? You know, I, I think that avoidance historically has been the the major route or the major coping strategy that we attempt to use. But what happens is you end up avoiding the discomfort of facing your fears, and this causes them to become even more unimaginably terrifying. It really is a maladaptive form of dealing with your issue and, and coping with your stress, coping with your anxiety. Sure, avoidance might get you by for a time, but eventually the beast returns. This fear returns. And when it returns, it turns to frustration. It turns to sadness. It turns into guilt, shame, further anxiety, and other unwanted symptoms. And so you've got to transition yourself from avoidance to acceptance. And, and, and when you do this, you put yourself in, in sort of this, this acceptance paradox. This is also known as active coping or approach coping. And what happens is that 
you know, acceptance, the acceptance paradox really makes the beast smaller, even if it hangs around. This is the adaptive form of coping, because by being aware of and accepting of the thoughts and experience in a non-judgmental way, you create a paradox of healing. The longer you stand there and you face the beast, you face the scariness, you face these intrusive thoughts, the more likely you are to have those negative emotions subside. Acceptance is really about remembering your whole self and identifying not with a deficient sense of self, but with a complete sense of self, a complete sense of who you are in that moment. You can face the beast. You can face the fear. You can overcome the anxiety associated with remembering a traumatic experience. The other day, my family and I, we sat down at the dinner table and, you know, lately the boys have been coming into our bedroom, my wife and I, into our bedroom, you know, late hours of the night, 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. And so I said to them, I said, hey, guys, you know, you guys have really been coming into our room a lot lately. And I, and I, I know I'd like to know why. And Levi, my youngest, he, he opened up, he piped up and he said, because I'm afraid. And so I said to him, well, what are you afraid of? And I could see in his ma- in his mind, he wanted to avoid talking about it. He's even actually told me in the past that he doesn't want to talk about it. And I've told him, well, let's talk about it because in talking about it, you feel the, and you sense that, that the, again, the beast gets smaller. And so in this moment at the dinner table, I said, well, what are you afraid of? Tell, tell daddy what you're afraid of. And he said, he said, uh, he's afraid of walking bananas. Okay. So I didn't judge his fear. I said, well, do the bananas have two hands or, or do they have two legs or, or four legs? He said, they have, they have two legs. And I said, okay, are they wearing pajamas, pajamas or, or are they naked? And he smiled, you know, kids love, kids are fascinated with, with nakedness. I don't know why they think being naked is, is hilarious. Uh, and so he smiles and he, he says, uh, they're naked. And I said, okay. And so we just kind of laughed about that, about how silly it was to be afraid of, of naked bananas walking around the house, you know? And then it was Micah's turn, Micah's turn to share. And so I said, Micah, what are you afraid of? And Micah says that, you know, he's afraid of clouds with red eyes. And he talked a little bit about some other stuff, you know, about them. He's afraid they're going to, they're going to come from under his bed. And I said, okay, well, the next time you have that fear, why don't you look under your bed and you realize that there's nothing there? And I said, you know, another thing with regard to you being afraid of, of clouds with red eyes, I said, you know, really those sounds like, those sound like raisins to me. And he, he laughed, he smiled and stuff. And we had a good laugh about it. And I said, you know, what do we do with raisins? We eat them. That's the point. <laughs> we eat raisins. There's, there's no reason to be afraid of the raisins. And so as we, as we go through this process of acceptance, as we go through this process of, of walking toward our fear and in a non-judgmental way, realizing that there's nothing to be afraid of, you really come to the understanding that the problem is not the problem. Your response is the problem. How you respond in moments of intense emotion, 
intense stress, how you respond to in, in moments of anxiety. The anxiety is not the problem. Your response is the problem. You can either avoid the situation, you can avoid those feelings, or you can accept those feelings in a non-judgmental way. Instead of saying to yourself, you're weak for feeling this way. Instead of saying to yourself, I can't believe I allowed my emotions to, to get the better of me. Those are judgmental statements that you may vo vocalize or you may, you may have in your mind. You, you say instead to yourself, you know, Hey, this is happening. Your, your response to the problem can be just as problematic as the problem. Because again, it creates this, this judgmental space creates a cycle wherein you feel shame for having those feelings, or maybe you feel guilty about being a victim of those feelings or, or experiencing that anxiety. And, and then you, you, it further and deepens your anxiety further deepens your depression. So one way that you can treat again, one way that you can, you can uh, expose yourself or accept or come to accept your experiences is, is by what's called trigger identification. And this, this technique is used often in uh, trauma victims. And what it does is it offers you an opportunity to come to an opportunity to compare what's happening now to what has happened in the past. And it really acts as a litmus test that separates what you perceive to be happening. For example, experiencing the trauma or experiencing the pain or experiencing the anxiety all over again. It separates that, that perception and it compares it to what is actually happening now. You're not there in that traumatic experience. Maybe you're sitting down reading a book and this flood of emotions comes. You, so rather than push, the, push them away, rather than, than say, you know, I don't want to experience this anxiety right now. You must first identify, well, what triggered you to have that emotion? What triggered you to be back in that, that experience, that traumatic experience? What triggered this sense, this sudden sense of depression? What was the trigger? Maybe it was something you read on the page. Maybe it was something you saw on the television you know, as you binge watched your favorite show. Maybe it was a, a phone call that you got that, that distracted you from the now, distracted you from being in the moment. What was the trigger? When you identify what the trigger is, you can say and remind yourself that you're here and not there. You're not in the past. You're in the present. You're right here in the present. And then the, the next thing that we do and that you can use as a way to respond to the problem is to what's called urge surf, or in other words, you ride the wave of discomfort. Now understand that you're not stopping the wave and it would be foolish for a surfer to think that he could stop a wave. Who has the power to stop a wave? You can't actually stop the wave from coming, but what you can do and what you do have control over is riding the wave. You understand that urges are just that. It's an urge. It's a time limited, temporary experience that is passing by. It may be a big wave, 
or maybe a small weight. The size doesn't matter. What matters is that in that moment, you understand that this too shall pass. This experience, this, this urge to react, this urge to feel anxious, this urge to feel depressed, this urge to, to participate in uh, destructive behavior is going to pass. It's a wave. It's a wave that's going to that's gonna pass very soon. When you urge surf, you accept the high degree of emotion. It might be rising, but you accept it without trying to suppress or act upon the urge. You, you instead come to a state of being that recognizes the brief nature of the urge. Now understand that something, for something to be brief, it's going to be subjective to you. It's a, it may be brief, but for you, brief might be five minutes. For you, brief might be 30 minutes. For you, brief might be a week. But this wave will pass. And you become stronger, more accepting of the wave, more accepting of the experience when you learn to ride the wave of discomfort. So you've, you've got to ask yourself, what do you believe about yourself based on your past? What letters do you write to yourself that might exacerbate your distress? Imagine yourself sitting down, writing a, a detailed letter to yourself about an experience that you had, something traumatic in your past or, or something memorable in your past. What what are you putting in that letter to yourself? Are you saying and, and describing yourself in judgmental ways, ways that that are really uh, the breeding grounds for shame and guilt, the breeding grounds for depression, the breeding grounds for anxiety, the breeding grounds for intrusive, negative, automatic, negative thoughts? What are you what what are you writing to yourself in that letter? Ask yourself, what what thoughts are you resisting? What waves are you, uh, you know, vainly trying to fight against? What waves are you vainly trying to stop? There is no device. There is no there is no treatment. There is no no uh, technology available. That allows you to stop the wave. So what are you what are you resisting? Even with pharmacological treatment that might mask the symptoms you take an antidepressive medication, which there may be a season for you to do that. But even that doesn't necessarily um, stop the wave from happening. Those those interventions are really designed to hopefully with with counseling and with with, uh, you know, an intentional approach. Help you better cope during those seasons, but they don't they don't fix the problem. They don't stop the wave from coming. I'm a pharmacist and I can tell you that those those items, they're they're band-aids, those drugs, those pharmacological interventions, they're drug, they're they're band-aids. They don't fix the problem. They don't all of a sudden make your problem disappear. What they do is hopefully put you in a state where your emotions, your hormones, those things that are raging in that moment, those things that are that are flooding your brain center in that moment. Hopefully those pharmacological interventions are there to help you calm down so that you can then face those fears 
you can then you can then accept those experiences and come to a place of non-judgmental acceptance. So what thoughts are you resisting? Is this resistance helpful? Ask yourself, has it has it caused your fears to be amplified? I'll be willing to bet that the answer is yes. That 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 when you resist, they have what they do is they cause this resistance rather causes your fears to be amplified, as I said earlier. Because you can't imagine what it would be like to stand in the in the front in in front of your fear and say to yourself, this too shall pass. I'm not afraid of this fear anymore. Can you imagine you maybe you can't imagine yourself being strong enough to do that. But you have to, you have to be willing to face that fear. And you can do that with help. You can do that in your community. You can do that with, and I recommend with a trained professional, somebody who can help you walk through that experience and come to the other side of it stronger and better able to cope. You see, you are your best and worst historian. You have a general idea about what happened, but sometimes the details of that memory can be fabricated in the mind as you attempt to process what's causing so much pain. This is the story I wanted to tell you. Uh, recently, my wife and I, we were sitting down and just sort of remembering some things that happened in our past that really were uh, the launching pad for, for where we are now and really pushed us to, uh, to be different here today. And as we were remembering the experience, my wife reminded me that I said something to her in that moment. In this in this in this uh, experience in our past, I'll spare you the details, but she remembered me saying to her something along the lines of. The interaction I had with this individual felt final. The interaction I had with this individual felt felt like this was the end. Of, of our relationship. And I remember telling her I remembered the event, but I couldn't I could not remember what I said to her. I can remember standing outside the car in the parking lot, but I couldn't remember what I had said to her. I could only remember how I felt. I couldn't actually remember what happened. And really the thought of, re of remembering the memory made me sweat. And I, I was honest with her in that moment. I said, you know, I feel hot uh, and, you know, thinking about this memory. I'm sweating. I'm perspiring thinking about this memory because I remember it. But I don't remember it. The, the details are, are vague in my mind. I, I told her, I remember having these feelings of anxiety before, but I couldn't recall why. So in that moment, it was a chance for me to do what I'm suggesting that you do. I accepted the anxiety. I prayed to myself. I prayed in my head. And I just let the urge to run away from that painful memory subside and it passed and you know what the next day as I as I drove to work and I remembered and reflected upon that conversation I had with my wife that that same memory and experience and that anxiety came back again and I I accepted that anxiety I didn't judge myself because I felt anxious and I let that memory subside and it passed and you know this was days ago and I haven't had that 
I haven't had that anxious feeling since. But this is what you do in those moments. You, you realize and you accept the fact that this too shall pass. So understand that the problem is not the problem. How you respond is the problem. So understand that the problem is not the problem. You have to move from avoidance to acceptance. And in mindfulness, you develop the capacity to be aware of and open to your immediate experience. What's happening now? Where are you now? Who are you now? Not comparing yourself to the past, not judging yourself because of the past, but realizing who you are today and where you are today. As I wrap up season one of the Mindful Farm D podcast, I can't tell you how excited I am for season two. I'm already making connections with some some wonderful guests that I can't wait to bring to you. We're going to be talking about more, having more conversations about mindfulness and the different ways we can engage our experiences, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's uh, nutrition, whatever it is that that is going to be fuel for you to have a healthy mind and a healthy mindset in the future to come. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mindful Farming Podcast, and I can't wait to see you in season two. I leave you with this. Focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable, on some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Think about these things. I leave you with this. Focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable, on some virtue or on something praiseworthy. Think about these things.